0: This is WMPG, my name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for courageous conversations about the subjects we feel most strongly about and may be most afraid to share. Tonight is the last in our series on yoga and healing. During the series, we've talked about yoga for depression, for trauma, for sexual abuse, as a way to create safety inside, as a form of therapy, and as a way to treat PTSD with returning vets. Tonight I'm going to be speaking with Bo Forbes about using restorative yoga and breathing exercises as therapy for both mixed anxiety and depression. Beau Forbes is a clinical psychologist and a yoga teacher. She's the founder of Integrative Yoga Therapeutics, which specializes in using yoga to help with anxiety, depression, insomnia, and a number of physical difficulties. Beau is the author of the book Yoga for Emotional Balance. Welcome to Safe Space, Bo.
1: Thanks, Dr. Ann. Thank you for having me.
0: So most of the people I've interviewed so far in this series have come to helping with mental health difficulties through their exposure to yoga and seeing how much yoga helps with that. You're actually the first person that I'm interviewing who started out as a clinical psychologist and moved toward yoga from that background. And I'd love to ask you what you experienced as a talk therapist that made you really see the limits of talk therapy and and moved you in the direction of yoga?
1: That's a good question. I think when I was first starting out, psychotherapy was very effective, as it still is today, and yet I always had the feeling that something was missing from the process. And when I was in graduate school and certainly postgraduate training, the body was never talked about we were told really not to go anywhere near it and so it took me a while in in my research to really discover that the body and the sort of network that exists between the mind and body which also includes the immune system and our enteric nervous system which is our belly brain And our nervous system and many other parts were really important to emotional health so the body plays a role in emotional transformation and as I began to incorporate the body into treatment having had some yoga training I was really able to witness some very profound transformations with people
0: I see so it sounds like you were already drawn to the body you knew about it were there specific ways that talk therapy was frustrating to you or that you noticed it took longer than you'd expect
1: Well, sure. I think in many ways to to get some of the gains that I see much more quickly and the people I train do now probably took many times as long in psychotherapy. And we could certainly say that the variable might have been the experience of the therapist. But we do know through research that the most curative aspect of psychotherapy is actually the quality of the alliance or the relationship between the therapist and the client. And so, for me, it was a process that length of time is okay, but it was also very dependent on a sort of medical model construct of, you know, there's a therapist who um, has wisdom imparting to the client, and it happens once a week in one setting. And for me, part of the power of yoga is being able to access what I call embodied insight, which is something that a client can practice and access also on their own.
0: So ultimately, it's much more empowering to the client. It is. And so tell me more what you mean by embodied insight.
1: Well, I think we we have a paradigm, and it's certainly been a helpful one, that for change to happen, we need to understand what's happening and to understand the nature of change. And so mental understanding is sort of a primary vehicle for change. But so many of us have a a wonderful grasp of what our problems are, and we've known for a long time we can articulate it in therapy or to a friend or loved one, and yet still a lot of the patterns continue to sort of hold sway over us. They pull us in, in in a gravitational kind of pull and so to me there's another kind of insight and it i I feel that it has two forms and this embodied insight um one of the ways that we can experience it and this happens through yoga is that a mental understanding that we have that simply sort of surfaced in the mind that isn't really translating into behavioral change or emotional change somehow trickles into the body and that's when we involve the body in treatment in some way and it's almost as though the body at a very deep visceral level understands what the mind has known for a while And when the body has that experience of insight change is able to happen it's as though on on even a cellular level we really get it i have discovered in the recent past, I would say the last year or so, that I've been looking at something else in, in the work that we do in our center, which is that we can have a very visceral insight or understanding or even a release or an experience. And that's when it sort of trickles up from the body, and the mind doesn't even need to know what it's experiencing. And, in fact, sometimes our attempt to intellectually understand it brings us out of that, that place of gnosis or knowing.
0: So interesting. So there's trickle down and trickle up.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's a good way of thinking
0: about it. So isn't that wonderful? So really, when people talk about the wisdom of the body, you are you are meaning that in a very literal way, that sometimes a shift can happen physically, and the mind doesn't even need to understand it for it to be effective.
1: Exactly. So change can happen outside the purview of the conscious mind. And sometimes, you know, both kinds can coexist together. I think sometimes being able to take our mental body, as we call it in our trainings, out of the way can actually be a means of really freeing ourselves and accessing a place that maybe has been pretty quiet or subterranean for a long time And i I don't think that that's something we're taught to do as we're growing up so you use the word empowering which is a wonderful way of describing what it's like to come into that place of of knowing. And the Italians, you know, we talk about the core body, and I teach a lot overseas, and the Italians call it pancha, which translates into, so they talk about the core body that way, and that means gnosis. So even their term for the physical space of our center is a term that they identify as that inner knowing.
0: It feels like it all goes back to Descartes, like this original dualism, kind of this mind-body split, and we value the mind and we haven't valued the body. We've undervalued it all this time and silenced it. We
1: have. And, you know, in many ways, I think the the heart or the nexus of the work that we do is to to bring that split together. And, so, you know, there is in our yoga community also a tendency sometimes to overvalue the body To practice in such a way that sort of addresses mostly the physical body and we know that that helps us feel better Um, but what research is also starting to show is that a physical practice that has an added element of um, spiritual or moral or therapeutic component is actually more effective in working with anxiety and depression than a practice that is simply what we would call yoga as exercise And so it's really wonderful to be able to incorporate as many parts of this mind-body network as possible. And uh, to me, the fields of meditation or mindfulness and yoga or physical practice and, and spiritual practice have been very far apart. And And our our work is really starting to be housed in this idea of bringing meditation and mindfulness into active movement, so that we're doing them both at the same time. And on the other side, to to add to meditation and reflection this quality of embodiment that often meditative practices um, don't have as deeply as they might.
0: Well, indeed, I would say uh, meditation often causes enormous pain in the knees, say, and you're just taught to keep ignoring it, ignoring it, and there's, there's almost like an intentional shutting out of the body's experience as a way to to keep n- undistracted, almost.
1: Yes, and that's something that that's thought to be sort of grist for the mill or something to work through, and yet you know one of the things that's so important about that physical pain is that we know it amplifies our nervous system activation, sympathetic activation. And to me, the nervous system balance is one of the keys to all kinds of emotional and physical change. It's really the precursor for neuroplasticity. And so meditation can be done in a, in a relaxed way, in a way where the body is in deep, deep comfort. And the best way to do that, in, in my opinion, is through restorative yoga.
0: So let's talk about that because as you said you know we in yoga we may overvalue the body so perhaps the majority of of Americans think of yoga as a series of active postures and in your book you're very careful to focus on two aspects of yoga restorative yoga and breathing and I'd love to ask you a little bit about why you chose each and let's start with the restorative piece what is restorative yoga and why is it so important.
1: Well, restorative yoga is a series of postures that might appear from the outside to be passive. Uh, they are restful. The body is either prone or supine, lying down and supported by props, such as bolsters and blankets and uh, and other things. And we use eye pillows. and. So from the outside looking in, it looks like a very passive practice. And that's one of the ways in which we can identify something that isn't moving as being not active or not productive. But I prefer, and especially in our experience of having such profound transformation through restorative, I prefer to use the term dynamic rest Mm. um, so that there's a lot going on on the inside of the practice.
0: So tell me, like what, what sort of thing is going on? So there you are, you're in this deeply comfortable pose, you're supported, and what, what kinds of things are going on in that, in that restorative position?
1: So one of the really important things, and we, we just spoke about the balance of the nervous system, and that really refers to the two branches, the sympathetic, which is fight, flight, freeze, and parasympathetic, which is resting and digesting. And those two branches need to exist in kind of dynamic interchange so we can't have one all one or all the other all the time we wouldn't be able to survive but most of us have an amplification of the fight flight freeze we're in constant state of of what I would call hyper arousal and one of the really important elements of restorative yoga is that it combines a lot of what we get in meditation and what we have sort of in reflective practices, but without the physical discomfort. So our body is completely relaxed. We have what we would call the deep relaxation response, which has been documented in the literature to have such healing properties. And at the same time, our nervous system, is its activation is attenuated. We have lowered heart rate. We have sort of a less sensory stimulation because the room is usually warm and dark and the eyes are covered. And we use the breath, in particular a nasal breath, and sometimes with a longer exhale to slow the heart. So we have, as the basis, this relaxation in the physical body, and then we have the nervous system coming into balance. And yet, what differentiates restorative yoga from sleep is that the mind is alert enough, and you could even say exquisitely alert, to observe our direct experience. And that could be emotional experience. It could be a difficult experience or something very joyful or stimulating in some way. But it observes it from that place of nervous system balance and calm. So it has a way of incubating difficult emotional experiences for us. And because of that, we're able to become more reflective, more compassionate, more understanding of the sequence of events that happen in our lives and how, for example, a fight could get started, how we push other people's buttons or they push ours. And so for me, the state that we get into is not just that rest and digest, um, but I like to call it reflect and redirect.
0: And redirect meaning what?
1: Redirect meaning sort of taking ourselves out of that place of reactivity and focusing on the possibilities in relationship in our own capacity for emotional resilience. So that we're not reactive, but we're reflective. We're not sort of impulse-oriented, but able to redirect the flow of what often are these really complex patterns, cyclical patterns that we call in Sanskrit samskaras that all of us go through and experience
0: sort of emotional struggles, mm, for instance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, as you know, I had the pleasure of coming and being a practice therapy client for some of your students as, as a form of research for, for this interview. And I got to do some restorative yoga for the first time as part of that. And what struck me experientially was... I was lying uh, face down in a twist, with my whole front on a bolster, and they sort of tucked me in and put blankets all around me, and there was enormous comfort. And what what struck me is how how deeply nourishing it was to feel so cared for, and to really receive that kind of minute attention to detail and restfulness. It was so foreign to all of our incredibly busy lives, and. I'm struck listening to you, it, do, it really does feel credible to me that doing that could cultivate more compassion for the self, partly because you're letting more compassion in.
1: Mm. That's a lovely reflection. And in many ways, that, that element of restorative yoga that you're describing is, in our system, it can seem to someone like, wow, just a tiny detail. What does it matter if the neck is fully supported with one blanket or one and a half blankets? But what we're doing is we're conditioning two things for ourselves or for the person who we're facilitating the restorative experience for. We're conditioning this idea that absolute comfort and self-care are the practice and that also this idea that we each have within us the awareness, you know, when cultivated, to adapt our practice to our changing needs, that it need not be too ritualistic or the same. And so in many ways, restorative yoga to me is the essence of yoga therapy, that kind of nurturing and self-care and self-compassion that we often so easily give other people and have a harder time giving ourselves. And then the idea that self-care is a practice that shifts and changes and that by simply checking in, daily or even several times a day, we're actually promoting our relationship with ourselves, with our changing needs. And, and that is self-compassion. And self-compassion is something that you know, is so hard for us to wrap our minds around. What is it? How do I do it? A lot of the great meditation leaders are writing about self-compassion. Chris Germer wrote a wonderful book called The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion and yet it's so elusive especially to people who care a lot for others so if you can embody self-compassion within a practice like restorative yoga it's um it's something that we instantly get again on that visceral level it's embodied insight instead of something that's a little bit more mental and a little bit because of that, just so elusive how do we get there and what do we do
0: So another question I had about restorative yoga is, so I am a talk therapist, and, you know, what I've been trained to do is to follow affect, that it's, I haven't actually been trained to value insight so much or verbal processing, but in some ways to foster and allow grieving, that to see grieving in some ways as the body's built-in form of healing, crying. And One of the things I've always been kind of curious about yoga therapy, is, especially the ones that are more active and, and involve a lot of movement, is how are you supposed to actually contact your emotions when there's so much going on? You're breathing and you're moving and you're trying to get your alignment right. And I've never understood how all that was supposed to help you be more present to your emotions. But in restorative yoga, you're so still and your attention is inward. And I'm curious, is there a role for grieving in your understanding of how restorative yoga is healing? Well, restorative yoga
1: is actually one of the, the best vehicles for grieving. And I like to think of it as an incubator for all difficult experience as well as the joyful because that can be stressful for us as well. We know <laughs> that joy can amplify nervous system hyperarousal. And one of the ways to, to really look at it is that it, as that kind of incubator, we have, you know, we have, there's some great research now talking about how there are two modes of responding to emotional experience. One is the default mode or default mode network, and that's also known as the narrative mode. And we have a difficult experience. We tell a story about it and what that story, that narrative, and psychotherapy trains us to listen for stories and then link them together. But the research is showing uh, that that actually Takes us a little bit away from the neural expression of sadness or grief or anger, yes. and it thus it lasts longer over time. We're just reinforcing um, those patterns. And on the other hand, when we go into direct experience, which is experiential mode, the neural uh, correlates—what um, we see in brain imaging of sadness or grief or anger are actually stronger, but then they change over time. They're able to transform. And the key thing is that you can't simply tell someone, like a client or a a yoga student, you need to sit with this, you need to be with this, and so go and do that. They actually have to be trained in how to do that. And restorative yoga is a wonderful way of training that. So, yes, there is a place for emotion and to simply breathe and to use the restorative practice as an emotional vessel, if, if you will. And we have the rooms that we teach, we always teach at night, are warm and dark. And so often people are sobbing or crying and nobody else knows except myself and the assistants. And so, you know, and we have people with bipolar disorder or people with MS and many people who have lost spouses and or are going through divorce or um, even have lost a child. And so it, it's one of those ways in which the process can be incredibly private and incredibly rich and transformative. And you kind of hinted at this, but one of the things I think that it makes restorative Really have legs, so to speak, is that a psychotherapist can, you know, with a modicum of training, learn to integrate restorative yoga directly into the process of psychotherapy. And we've actually had some of our people in teacher training and some of our yoga clients at our Center for Yoga Therapeutics bring restorative into their sessions. And we've had some great feedback about how different That segment of time actually is when combined with that mental processing
0: one of the things that I was so fascinated by in your book was what you talked about is the possibility of someone having anxiety or depression in their mind while simultaneously having the opposite either anxiety or depression in their body and that this can really complicate particularly the psychopharmacologic treatment of either depression or anxiety when a person kind of has this mixed state I've often been taught about agitated depression or mixed anxiety with depression, but I'd never thought before of thinking that one could be in the mind and one could be in the body. This is a really exciting new idea for me, and I'd love to hear from you how you think about that and how yoga can help with that.
1: I came to it sort of newly through observation, and what I noticed, and I think this is in part, in large part through yoga training and and body training. But a lot of people who have anxiety or depression are very aware that they have both. And so if they are going to a psychiatrist such as yourself, I think my sense is that there has to be a diagnosis. You can have you know, depression with features of agitation or anxiety, but that targets psychopharmacology to whatever is most present and looking for sort of vegetative states. But if you take somebody who has a sort of um, sad affect or flat affect, as you might say, and, you know, slowed movement and can't get out of bed, and you give them an antidepressant, and there's somebody who has mental anxiety, but it wasn't as apparent before, often that just really triggers episodes of anxiety because they have more energy, and it's almost as though... You know the mind is fully unleashed upon itself and then of course they need an anti-anxiety medication to potentiate or to balance those effects and often the people that we see with what I call mixed anxiety and depression have more medications given to them they don't work as well and the prognosis even through the research is a little bit less optimistic for this population and medications tend to sort of taper off to stop working and so it's really been my experience that the body can often have one experience which could be most of the time we see the body is more lethargic in depression but then there can be a tremendous amount of worry in the mind and so we tend to in restorative yoga you know and and we have correlates for this in our active movement as well and and um, but in restorative yoga we take the shape of posture that best expresses what the body needs so for physical depression that could be a heart opening shape which draws more energy into the upper body but then we deal with the mind, and and the mind is really closely connected to nervous system functioning. We deal with that through breath work, because the mind and nervous system respond really quickly and readily to what we call pranayama, or, or breath work. And we do really simple breath ratios, because someone is already lying down, and so the simpler the better. And... And one of the ways that we target mental anxiety is through nasal breath um, to begin, but then to um, gradually make the exhale a little longer than the inhale, even twice as long or more. And that slows the heart even further and really slows the mind down and kind of recalibrates that mental anxiety.
0: So you're treating the mental anxiety through this very calming breath that also invites the parasympathetic nervous system to be in balance with the sympathetic. Mm -hmm. And then you're working with the lethargy in the body through a heart opening pose. And I was curious if you have lethargy in the body, is there not also a role for more active poses or how is it that lethargy is helped through such a restful pose?
1: So it's a wonderful question because you might think, okay, for people with anxiety, it's helpful to, to quote-unquote, burn off some of that anxiety through active movement. For people with depression, to build energy and bring more energy to the body through an active practice. And we do that in a complex series of therapeutics. But then once that's happened in the, in the restorative practice, we're looking at really subtle shapes and subtle practices. Uh, and, and also certainly trying to bring that subtlety into the active practice as well so that we're not using gross movement. So sometimes people will say, for depression, do back bends. For anxiety, do forward bends. We actually have a little bit maybe more complex way of looking at active movement. So, yes, the movement part is great. And when it comes to restorative, we know, for example, that there is a link between posture and mood. And there have been some studies in Brazil showing that people with depression have a significantly greater degree of kyphosis, of rounding in the upper thoracic spine, and also cervical spine compression. And that when that depression goes into remission, the kyphosis actually improves, as does the cervical spine compression. And so we're using that knowledge to, in restorative, when the body is still and the nervous system is really sensitive to these subtle changes, to kind of rewire these neural pathways, if you will.
0: So rather than putting someone through a whole series of active poses necessarily, there's a much more subtle attention to sort of the shape that the body is in, the actual literal posture of the body, and that you might be finding poses that just gently open the heart or open the chest.
1: Exactly. And in in that way, we're giving a depressed body the experience of being not depressed. And we know that the brain learns and rewires itself through experience. That's different from its normal sort of default patterns.
0: Fascinating. So the more you can actually put the body in a posture of being not depressed, you begin to wire the brain into that new experience.
1: Yes. And and also through that sort of incubator of restorative yoga, we give the the whole mind-body network the experience of knowing that difficult emotions come and go, that they are not permanent parts of our experience.
0: I could talk to you for so much longer. I want to say thank you so much. You've been a fascinating guest. I've so enjoyed learning from you both in the yoga studio and over the air
1: thank well, you it's delightful to be here with you thank you for having me
0: and if people want to learn more about your work Bo, or if they want to find the integrative yoga therapeutic center how do they do so
1: well the book yoga for emotional balance is available on amazon.com we also have a youtube channel that you can search under Bo Forbes, and those are our free videos we post a lot of articles and resources on our Facebook page, which is Bo Forbes Yoga. And finally, the website uh, where you can access more resources is BoForbes.com.
0: Thank you so much, Bo. This is Dr. Ann. I've been speaking with Bo Forbes about her form of yoga therapy, particularly using restorative yoga and breathing exercises. I want to thank tonight Jen Hodston for mixing the sound, Maurice Lennon for the music, and Deb Cook, who's been the consultant to this series on yoga and healing. Deb is a Kripalu yoga teacher here in Portland. She's the founder of Yoga in Maine. If you'd like to listen to the show in its entirety, email the link to a friend. Please go to our website at www.safespaceradio.com. You can sign up there to get weekly emails with a link to that week's show. You can also download us from iTunes. You can like us on Facebook. Next week, Safe Space will be starting a new series on the Somali immigrant experience here in Maine. Coming up next is Local Solutions.